Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Hello and welcome to another what is certain to be riveting episode of Coaching Inside the Box, episode 59, Andy and Philippe. Welcome back. Um, it feels like Groundhog Day, maybe because it is, and also because we were here just a couple of days ago recording. Andy, I see a hand, uh, your hand full of paper. Those look like one-liners. I'm really eager to see what type of terrible jokes you bring to the table today. Well, I was just thinking of your introduction, you know, riveting. I mean, that's what I've got here in my yeah, hand. Yeah, just riveting I've got stuff. riveting yeah, one-liners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's always nice when you do the rundown of the jokes at the start of the podcast. I can quickly just catch up on everything that's come through on my phone over the last five minutes while we've been talking. It's, it works out well. Well, here's your opportunity. Go. You know, <laughs> before you criticize someone, walk a mile in their shoes. Good advice, right? That way, when you do criticize them, you're a mile away and you have their shoes. <laughs> that was actually pretty good. Why aren't you laughing then? You know, you Brazilians, you've got no sense of humor. Because right. it wasn't <laughs> that good. <laughs> okay. The standard is very low, so. <laughs> I can't argue with that, actually. Uh, what's the difference between ignorance and apathy? I don't know. I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny, too. Out of ten, how many? You know, Am I a seven on that one, or what am I at? You I'm know? four. Well, I didn't know what apathy meant, so for <laughs> yeah. me it was kind of hard. <laughs> it's going to be hard, because Andy's what? always dropping some... Uh, I mean, apathy is a word you probably should know by now. It means you don't care. Yeah. W yeah. Words of one syllable for fleet. Um, you know, <laughs> people don't realize I'm trilingual. You know, I speak... English, I speak American, and I speak Cockney rhyming slang. Okay. Yeah, I got three languages, and people don't appreciate that. Meanwhile, um, Philippe genuinely does speak three languages. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, here's the next one. I can tell when people are being judgmental just by looking at them. <laughs> you got it, right? You understood that? Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have a few jokes about unemployed people. A few. But none of them work. <laughs> but the funniest thing is that you'll start laughing and you'll look at us for approval. <laughs> Which and just hardens me to, the, to my commitment of not yeah. laughing. I, I know you're determined not to laugh. I can see if it's good, just whether there's a twinkle in your eye. You know, it's, that's all I need. I just, but I need some affirmation. Come on, guys. You know, okay, give me okay. something. You know, don't just look down and do nothing. Okay, no, okay. All right. What's brown and sticky? Poop. No. A stick. Brown and sticky. That is not funny. And I'm really curious. Can you connect that to our topic today? What's brown and sticky? <laughs> oh. A stick. I mean, at the beginning days, like you were, you put some time into bringing jokes that actually connected. Now it's just like you know, Andy's Andy's dad joke book that he got for Christmas. I'm I'm on page four now. Next episode will be page five. Yeah. Well, you know, just you know, we're the most dynamic and you know, and, and active of soccer philosophies, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and we're talking about spirited energetic motivated today in the podcast and what does it have to do with brown and well, sticky it's the opposite thing isn't it you know a stick does nothing it just sits there it moves it's just okay you know i mean it's 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 an innate object so it's you know it's just a comparison of opposites and okay. if you believe what i just said that you got, just made that I've up got, on the spot it's actually not bad for on the bridge. spot yeah, yeah i've got a rusty old bridge i want to sell you if you not, believe what not I just bad said. on the spot you know so yeah <laughs> Absolutely no connection. If what we need to do is we need to make this easy for the listeners at home and just run this joke segment for two minutes every time. That way, they when they're listening in their car, they can just go to the two minute mark and then. The I'm sure they already figured it out. Have they figured it out oh, yet? Yeah. Okay. They put the speed at three point five and, and then bring it down once yeah. the jokes are done. Yeah. Okay. Can we move on with this? <laughs> I've been waiting since we started. Because, you know, I, I, I want to let the teeth marks in my buttocks disappear. <laughs> um, 
Children become spirited, energetic, and motivated if learning environments are challenging, dynamic, and vibrant. Therefore, it is a coaching priority to make each soccer practice rich in complexity and fascination. When this occurs, children experience a freedom of physical release while enjoying tangible progress from the learning experience. If this happens, young players ignite. They catch fire. They develop a passion for acquiring the right combination of technique and timing while immersed in the immediate creative challenge. They lose their inhibitions and become comfortable with the ball. Both time and frustration disappear when players practice in the zone of altered consciousness. The zone is a state of mind-body coordination that is much sought after by athletes because it is conducive to achieving peak performance. The zone experience can be so transcendent that it is almost spiritual. Now, I go and watch other coaches practice, you know, and, and I watch them doing their drills, and, I, you know, and you know what I don't see? You know, the topic of this podcast. I don't see spirited, energetic, motivated kids. I see kids that are X's and O's. They're putting together the pattern that the coach wants them to put together, there's absolutely no joy. You know, I mean, you know, it, it, they look like they're digging their own grave, you know, as they're playing. They're going through, the, you know, the, the regimented motions that the coach wants them to go through, you know, in order to just not to be abused by the coach that they're playing for. You know, and this is the pattern in most of our youth soccer. You know, stay between the lines, follow the pattern. It's a pattern play. Follow the patterns of the coaches. You know, don't go out there and do something really funky, really creative, really fun. Don't be scoring goals from 35 yards. Don't be bending them in. You know, don't be, you know, faking to ram it down the goalkeeper's throat and then chip the goalie at the last minute and laugh at the goalie and wag your finger at them, you know. Don't do those, you know, wonderful, fun things. You know, that make, make you know, practice excited, spirited, motivated, make it, make it a laugh with the, you know, with the occasional fight. You know, <laughs> you know, don't do those things, you know, because you're not allowed to go to that point where you're even close to fighting, you know, because what you're doing is so stilted. It's so boring. You know, it's so dull. You know, you never get to the point of fighting somebody right, because you don't love it. There's no passion. No, I couldn't agree more. Are that, you with me? One hundred percent. In my practice last night, um, my twenty ten boys, um, uh, Chase uh, <laughs> performed a double scissors. We were playing two v twos on Perry. Perry's a, a kid that just joined the club. Um, I think he just recently, within the last few years, moved from Ghana. Um, uh, of all places, uh, did a double scissors on Perry and Perry's feet crossed and he fell over and the entire practice, the rest of the session, nobody would let Perry live it down, including me. And Perry just had this like determined grin on his face. And every time he encountered Chase again during 2v2s or the, the fun 4v4 scrimmage at the end, like Perry's intensity went to 12 because uh, he wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna get beat by Chase again. Like Twelve on the scale of Twelve one. on the scale of one to ten, <laughs> uh, and it was just so much fun from that perspective. As I as I read that excerpt right in preparation for this podcast, uh, if I boil it down, what I understood it to mean is complexity and fascination bring on a freedom of like physical activity for kids, right? And I I, I kind of lingered on that moment for a minute, Andy, and complexity is something that you just kind of alluded to seeing at other sessions as well. Complexity is something that we see often um, with sessions. Complexity from a uh, from our session is this it's really actually simple game. We're doing 1v1s or 2v2s. The complexity comes into it when we think about how crowded the space is, how tight the space is, and how crowded the space is, and the numerous decisions. I mean, many, 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 many decisions that the kids have to make as they're going through it. But that complexity has fascination built in because it has fun. Right. And that fun trying to solve the problem versus I remember watching this video of Michelle Ribeiro, I think was his name. He used to he, he, he was at Gank when um, Kevin De Bruyne was at Gank. And then he came to Kansas City and worked with the Sporting Kansas City Academy. And everybody was like, oh, my gosh, we've got the guy that developed Kevin De Bruyne coming to Kansas City to work with our academy kids. This is amazing. And <clears throat> I don't know how long Michelle stayed here, two or three years. But I remember somewhere along the line, I became Facebook friends with Michelle or started following him on Twitter, one of the two. 
And he would film his technical passing patterns that they ran through. And he he would film them, he'd he'd post them. You could tell he was quite proud of them. And they were the most complex 10-part passing patterns. And I'm sure he filmed it after the kids had spent a couple of days working on it so they memorized it so it looked good. But they were so complex. But none of it was freedom. None of it led to freedom. And like that, like that, that dichotomy between our complexity that's built fully on fun and fascination, that is true freedom compared to what tradition would tell us um, uh, was the, the, is the best way it, to, to develop players was so stark and so uh, um, interesting. And going to the conversation we had at the beginning of this, uh, before we started recording, Philippe, you were talking about, um, or we were talking about, you know, kids making it through the academy, um, uh, be it in the U.S. or anywhere else, and it's just kind of like it's a survival mode, right? It's just chew them up, spit them out, survival, and it's almost like it's easier for us instead of actually truly pushing kids from an academy perspective to be creative and to go for it and and to really. Uh, improve their ability to play soccer instead it's just easier if we just make this really 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 hard and whoever survives that's the kids will promote to the first team yeah i mean that's that's kind of the reality and you know i think the u.s haven't figured out that you know they kids here and i hate to say it but kids here are spoiled not in a bad way necessarily but the country is a great country economically and stuff like that Kids have opportunities to go to school. Kids have an opportunity to have a decent life. And they don't need to survive. They will survive without soccer. And that's the part that, you know, the U.S. hasn't figured out. And I have no idea how they haven't. Um, Because you do that in Brazil, the kids, they'll go through hell. Because if they don't, the hell they're going to have to go back to is ten times worse, right? So... Yeah, it works down there. It works in Argentina. It works in in France, you know, in the Serbs with the kids from the immigrants. It works in England with the, you know, blue-collar community. But it will never work here. And even when, when it does, most of the players that are succeeding are from what kind of origin? Mm. Hispanic origin, right? Yeah. So it's, it, it, it's the U.S. needs to understand that the way they're approaching the game yes you need to mimic and that's the same mistake brazil made after we lost the world cup in 2006 trying to mimic the tactical side of europe you gotta mimic some of it but you can't mimic all of it you can't take that as a norm for decades the english spanish german teams would go to brazil go to South America, buy players young because they could dribble and they could do something different and they would take them to to Europe. Now we're telling the kids in Brazil not to dribble as much. Now we're focusing on the on the tactics. It's not right. But I maybe the best point I can remember you ever making on the 59 episodes that we've recorded so far was the one that you just made is that the problem we have is that our American kids that play soccer largely come from upper middle class. And we're we're trying to copy strategies that have been successful working with kids of a lower class, um, a more blue collar class. Right. Um, and like that that on its face like from the jump should be a problem um and and it should be clear to anybody that wants to look that yeah. that's the problem here's the thing though you know we're, we're 20 years plus in to brazil not even making it work because you know, of the point that he made that he finished yeah. making yeah yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. so yeah. why are we following now even brazil at this moment in time yeah. because they're not making it work on the world scene you know they've they've allowed you know winning games and pushing kids on for a million dollars when they're 16, you know, to other countries and professional clubs, they've allowed the money to creep in and, you know, the kids aren't being encouraged to be really creative. But while you guys were talking, you know, I, I, uh, I had this, this thought, you know, so I love crosswords, right? You know, I just love doing crosswords. You know, but I'm old and I'm sedentary. You know, my mind works really well still. At least I think it does. You probably wouldn't agree. Um, but, but the, uh, the you know, the, the the body doesn't work as well. So I can't play soccer anymore, which was like a crossword on grass to me. I love solving problems. You know, and you know what we've got is is uh, we've got crosswords that are very complex. There's a whole bunch of different ways to go at a crossword in order to solve it. 
you know, and, you know, there's, you know, spelling words out and see if they fit. It's like digging the ditch in a crossword. You know, there's, there's shortcuts to, you know, to, to doing a crossword successfully. Well, you know, what, what we're doing in soccer, you know, in, in the USA, you know, is we're asking our kids to do crosswords. So it's a boring, sedentary way of amusing themselves. You know, we're asking them to solve these patterns. You know, we're not asking them to go wild and crazy, you know, into the complex world of one-on-ones and two-on-twos in microspaces, you know, and, you know, be incredibly creative, incredibly physical, incredibly out there on the ragged edge. You know, we've got all these pattern plays going, and it's literally like me sitting on the toilet doing my crossword. You know, it's, that's what the coaches are doing to their kids. You know, and, you know, and, you know I, I used that visual on purpose, all right, because it is crap what most coaches are <laughs> okay, doing. That's a joke I can buy kids. into. A really good lead-in <laughs> and then a great punchline. <laughs> and, and we just don't do that, you know. You know, we don't go into the toilet and just sit there, you know, like most coaches do in their practices. You know, we're out there doing wild and crazy things. You know, we're encouraging kids to do bicycle kicks. You know, we're encouraging kids to finish, you know, bending the ball with the outside, inside of the foot, chipping the ball. You know, fake shots before they dribble around the goalie, you know, get down on their knees and head it over the goal line. You know, the, you know and it's exciting. It, you know, it's passionate. You know, it, it, it actually stirs up the blood. You know, you know there's, there's moments all the way throughout practice of extreme intensity. And you go and watch most of these professional youth academies, you know, and it's pattern plays, you know, and it's horrible what the pro game is doing to youth soccer because they've gotten involved in youth soccer too early. Well, not just the pro game, what coaches are doing to youth Mm. soccer. Coaches want it to be cookie cut. They want it to be efficient. Controllable. They want to control. Control, but they they don't believe in, you know, in being, uh, you know, really, really high risk. You know, there's no anarchy you know, in most coaches' philosophies. You know, there's a ton of anarchy in what we do. You know, we love the player that's going to dribble four people and score. You know, I, I, I was reading a study the other day, and they put a bunch of whatever on Neymar's brain to see during the game, analyzing um, wh- how does his brain work? What's the thought process? And you know what's the... what? Interestingly enough... Uh, the area of the brain that was activated the most was what they called is responsible f- by for instinct. So basically, improvisation. So, you know, he's a ball carrier. He's one of the most skillful players that I've ever seen, right? Get the ball, dribble two, three, four, whatever. And, you know, once he dribbles the first one, you know, he scanned the field, he saw what's happening. But he doesn't know if the second or third will come, how they're going to come. Mm-hmm. So it's all quick decisions, improvisation, and all that kind of stuff. And Messi is the same way, you know. They, and they start going down, and they've done with other players as well. And these players, the most creative players, the most skillful players, it's, it's nothing that, you know, it's completely pre-planned and, you know, designed. It's the ability of thinking on their feet, improvising, and sometimes not even thinking. It's just instinct. It just happens. What does your practice that you just described with your 2013s, all the traffic, all the different decisions that they're having to make? Well, even if you give the most complex passing pattern that you give 10, you're making 10 decisions, which they're not decisions. It's memory. You're it's memory. You're yeah, you've been told what to do. You're remembering yeah. something. Well, y- how can you... Rem- you, you don't, we're not going to remember something during the game if the play is completely different. And soccer is the, is the most diverse sport. Mm-hmm. In I mean, it, every play is different. Everything in soccer is different every time. So we got to put kids, and that part, people say, oh, you can't teach that. Yeah, you can teach the, you can physically teach the kid how to think, how to have the instinct, but you can put them in the situations that because of how many decisions they're going to have to make, how many times they're going to have to improvise to succeed, how many times they're going to fail until they succeed, they'll develop that. And I think that 
you know, Andy talk, was talking about the academy coaches. A big problem is most of the academy coaches, what's their end goal? Go pro. Yeah. Um, going coaching a pro team is not about development. So they need to prove that they can organize a team tactically to win. And if they are able, and that, and that for me is is one of the roots of the problem. If the, the and we've had a podcast about that, uh, the measurement of success, the measurement of success of a youth coach should be how many creative, incredible plays they produce for the first team. But if that same youth coach, his goal is to become a professional coach, then for him to achieve his job, he needs to prove that he can do the tactical, he can win games, and that comes into into place, and he hurts the kids at the end of the day. So what we're talking about here is is maximum improvisation is absolutely necessary, and that doesn't happen in most academies, you know, because it's pattern plays, it's it's boring stuff, you know, and you know, there's nothing really, really intense, really, really exciting about you know most academy practices, you know, and so that's not happening. And I just had a thought here because my dad was a boxer. You know, if, if I was a huge promoter and I had millions of dollars to spend and I wanted to invent a whole new form of, you know, of combat sport, I'd do a 10-foot boxing ring. I mean, I'd make it small. And you couldn't get away, mm. you know, and everything. You need to shorten so that nobody dies, but yeah. You know, you know but, but, you know, you'd have this situation. I mean, Muhammad Ali would have been brilliant in a 10-foot boxing mm. ring because he had the ability to lean backwards and get out of the way of punches like nobody in history. You know, his ability defensively, and then his offense was unbelievable. He could put together combinations, more punches in a split second than anybody in heavyweight history. You know, and, you know, that's the type of environment we've got for our kids here with our soccer boxes and with our, you know, our small practice fields is you're literally in this competitive cauldron where, you know, you're throwing punches every split second, you know, because you're playing one-on-ones, two-on-twos, you know, and, you know, so you're, you're either having to defend with massive intensity or attack with incredible creativity. Uh, you know, and it, it's coast to coast. Yep. It's north to south. It's transition. You know, it's not like rondos. It's sideways and, you know, you're not really penetrating. You know, you're not moving even. You know, you're just moving a little bit side to side. And, yeah, you're quick-footed and, you know, it's got some benefits. But a bit like kissing your sister, you know. It's, you know it's what benefits I, I don't understand <laughs> that reference. Nobody kisses their sister. Well, just in Game exactly of Thrones, right. you, know, you, you do understand it. <laughs> <laughs> what you just said means you absolutely get it. You know? Well, um, uh, Andy, Andy, I'm going to offer you some praise for a moment because uh, you may not know this. But oh, hold on, you know, audience. The first time ever in his life. Not ever. Not a, it's not ever. I have a quota on this podcast that every five episodes I give you one bit of praise. And so every, the quota has every been Every once hit. in a while, a blind squirrel finds a nut. <laughs> there right? is um, a question. <laughs> that I've often gotten um, and received from other coaches that have been interested in what we do in Happy Feet Legends stuff, right? Uh, so it's all over my career in terms of promoting um, and chatting to other people about taking their uh, taking our program to their to their market and building it um, uh, in, in lockstep with us. That's a uh, this is a question I oftentimes get, which is like, what are the ages? For the stages, like how do you know when it's time to move kids through stuff? Um, and obviously, the stock answer that we typically give is it's, it's not. Yeah, I know, uh, I know uh, that it's stock stuff that we don't typically give um, uh, in terms of the exact ages. It's more about skill development, whatnot. In the chapter that we read to prepare for this specific episode. It's the best you've ever done, in my opinion, at describing the ages and the stages. And because they're not centered around necessarily a skill set a kid has, it's centered around at the core what motivates kids in certain age groups. And so if I can boil it down, in two to five, in those young age groups, it's largely centered around... um, connecting with kids um, in, in the, like this brain way that is songs and stories. So like you're really connecting with them on what is fun and motivating in terms of capturing their imagination. So from two to five, you can capture their imagination. You're making really good progress. That's what we do in Happy Feet. I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. All right. This is for the audience to understand. All right, the man you are listening to, Andrew Clifton... And I've seen thousands of people working with, you know, the two to five age group. 
the man that's talking here is the Jesus Christ <laughs> of the two to five age group. Is the Check absolute absolute guru of getting two to five year olds, you know, uh, on board, loving with the story time approach that that you know our Happy Feet program has. You know, this guy is is an, an absolute Gandalf of <laughs> lesson uh, to be learned, guys. Offer Andy one bit of praise, and he'll just turn you into a deity. It's well, but, pretty great. But Andy doesn't believe. But Andy you. doesn't believe in God, so I'm not understanding. <laughs> no, he, he, he believes in in some type of power up there. Um, <laughs> but but the, but the goal between two to five, right, is capturing their imagination. King and Charles, <laughs> is, you know, I believe in King Charles. <laughs> the 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 goal the the goal between five and ten is fun, always fun, fun first, but escalating challenges. Six, seven, eight-year-olds aren't just happy coming and, and playing um, in a fun way with no specific challenge attached to it, but you have to be careful in how you scaffold them. You build the scaffold up and have them reach to that next challenge, right? And then you build the scaffold up to that, and then they reach to the next challenge, and that's how it carries and, on. And, and, and understand as, as, you know, when you're coaching that age group, that between five and ten age group, fun. Fun first. Fun. Fun. Fun has got to be an integral part. It, yeah. It's got to be excitement. There's got to be movement. There's got to be but challenge. The, but it's got to be fun, but it has to be challenges. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But Two to five, you got to capture their imagination. Challenges come from the imagination. Yeah. 10 to 14, this is a really fun age group because that's when you really start to, to, to look at individual competition, right? Like that, and it's come true to me all the time. Up until 10, when I do 1v1s and 2v2 ladders, the kids get into it. Some kids get into it more than others, but it's, it, it's not as, 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 as you know, you get that, that middle school adolescent, like, oh, I've got to perform well. I've got to be good in, the, in, in, in this competitive cauldron environment. But 10 to 14, kids love that stuff. And so individualized challenges get those kids so motivated, so wired, so ready to rock. It's not even funny. And then 14 to 18, right? 14, that, that, that has a little bit broader sense. But I think it's really about, I agree with Andy and the way that you put it specifically in the piece of paper that you're holding right now, it's really about refining individual elements and team elephant elements or elephants and bringing them <laughs> together. Um, Imagine a le- an elephant as a center back yeah. or a goalie. <laughs> I actually do remember an elephant in terms of the speed of foot of an elephant who sometimes plays center back, and his name was Kyle Hogue. <laughs> Nelly, the elephant, packed his bags and said goodbye to the circus. I just had to sing it. I, I know, don't that, know it. You know, yeah, don't I associated know it. elephants with, with, uh, with uh, you know. Uh, so children between 10 and 14 develop fastest through spirited, goal-oriented individual competition that pushes technical and tactical boundaries. They also have the, you know, the somewhere in that age group, they acquire the ability to be axe murderers. You know, so, the, you know, this is really good point. They go through the growth spur, yep. you know, and, you know, these cute kids that were 11 and 12 are sawing you know, each other's legs off, you know, <laughs> at that point in time. Well, you know, we've got to give them something here that gets their tendency to, you know, murder somebody else, you know, uh, gives them that that fulfillment in that tendency. You know, so what we do is it's really physical. It, it's really energetic. They leave totally exhausted, you know, having used, you know, hundreds of, you know, fakes and moves. And, but, you know, th- they're warriors. There's been lots of contact, lots of one-on-one, lots of hand-to-hand, you know, and it's really close quarters stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Remember, this is micro soccer, and there's walls around these kids, so they can't get away. They have to fight. My 2013s are right on the front end of this. Um, and every single practice, I, I use a whiteboard. I carry a whiteboard. I buy it at Target. And I and I score everything, right? If we're doing um, uh, even our fun 4v4v4 scrimmage at the end has scores attached to it. And now I've started giving every team before I start it in the fun part. But at the end, every team is named some uh, low-level English team. And so the kids are fighting over who gets to be Peterborough versus Shrewsbury. Um, but the intensity level in my 2013 practice right now is like literally off the charts. Like I'm scared at times. So mentioning no names, you got one kid that you know was a bit emotional over the last few years. How's he handling the fights? Well, currently he's got a broken foot. Um, but uh, and I don't have one kid in that group. I've got four. Tears tears come quick for that group because they're emotional. Um, uh, but you know. 
pretty well. Like it, it, it hasn't quit yet. Um, so that's good news. I'm a little sarcastic. Uh, he's he's going to be a tough 17 year old. Oh, so tough. Yeah. You know, it, it's coming. Yeah. You know, I, I can see it. His dad was a wonderful player. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, you know, it's, it's there, you know, and, you know, it, but he wouldn't have been if it wasn't for this philosophy. I really don't think that that would have been part and parcel of his. You know. He has a he has a uh, and coaches thinking about this right like this kid specifically enormously athletic um, um, but chaotic in terms of his body movements and his body control um, and so uh, if if we were to try to tame that chaos by putting him in passing patterns um, uh, he wouldn't improve to the degree that he could improve he couldn't he wouldn't reach his potential but like putting him in a chaotic environment with his chaotic body movements he learns to to dance like he learns to figure it out and and and, and I think that's maybe the point that you're wanting us to make oh absolutely you know but you know as, as he's learning to dance he's also learning to fight and you know, one and thing that's that, vital. Oh, he fights and better than anybody. One thing <laughs> he just that, cries if he loses at the end. <laughs> <laughs> one thing, and I think you made the, the, that point a few episodes ago about the helicopter parent and the lawnmower um, mm -hmm. parent. I think when we see kids that have, you know, that kind of emotional side to it, that, you know, gets frustrated, cry, you know, sometimes go a little aggressive, most parents and coaches try to protect that kid take that kid from their environment so they're not exposed to that so they don't react in those ways that's the biggest mistake you can make in my opinion because eventually they're gonna go in life and we're not talking soccer they're gonna go through periods that they're gonna face these kinds of challenge and if they don't learn how to deal with those challenges and channel that emotion that energy the right way in a positive way they're not going to succeed. They're going to fail in those aspects of life. So we got, we can see kids that are emotional, you know, or get, you know, sometimes a little aggressive or whatever, and just try, oh, I, I mean, I've seen a lot of coaches, you know, that kid, you know, he goes really tough. So I'm not going to do 1v1 when he's here or whatever, because, you know, he's going to crush somebody into the wall. No, it's making sure you teach them how to, react to those things, how to deal with those conflicts, how to deal with the loss, instead of protecting them. Because if we're protecting them, you're saying, it's not your fault that you get that way, you know? The world, so, you know? So let, so let me expand on what you're saying here, because this is really, really important. Between 14 and 18, energy and motivation are maximized by emphasizing and simultaneously refining individual and team elements in a dynamic, highly charged, edge of chaos environment you know and you know th this is you know sporting kansas city you know we were talking about them they've got a horrible track record of developing professional players because they go into these pattern play environments they want to win games so they do things that are not dynamic not highly charged not edge of chaos you know and their players don't have the edge you know when it comes time to sign a pro contract they don't even want to sign their own youth academy players you know, because they've trained them not to have that highly charged, edge of chaos, you know, dynamic, you know, ability, you know, to beat people, to go one-on-one, -on -one, to go one-on-two, you know, to win the matchups, you know, anywhere on the field, on the dirty side of the ball by being incredibly physical, you know, intelligent, you know, motivated in that, you know, tight, dynamic situation around the edge of the penalty area, in the box, you know, in the micro soccer area of the field, they've just done none of this stuff during the academy. And so when it comes to signing the game winner, either on the dirty side of the ball or on the creative side of the ball, they don't even want to sign their own players. How, but, how crazy is that? Well, and they've got a monopoly on recruitment. They can get anybody in the surrounding states to Kansas City. They've got a monopoly on recruitment. I believe they are the... I might be wrong, but I believe they might be the only MLS team that doesn't have an MLS, like an academy competitor in their market because all of the other ones... MLS you know, next. Yeah, yeah. All the other ones have, you know, at least a big, big, big club that competes in that platform, you know, and even though most of those programs are not fully funded, some the kids that have the means, you know, if they like that team versus sure, the yeah, academy, yeah. they can still do it. Uh, and... Most kids are coming out, so you know, and succeeding are coming at 15, 16 from 
other places. But the point you're making, I think, in part, is that that uh, competition might be healthy for MLS next. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Be- because and if you have the monopoly, I mean, first of all, you can you can pick anybody you want, and you can do whatever you want, and the kids have no, the no other choice. What's the use important. of having a monopoly if nobody will buy your cards? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I work for British Leyland, and, you know, and <coughs> the, the only foreign competitor that was allowed to make cars in, in, in England was Ford aside from British Leyland back in the day, you know, and, and honestly, the cars that British Leyland, the company that I did an apprenticeship with for four years, the car that British Leyland made were garbage compared to Ford. You know, God bless why? America. Why? Because, the, you know, we had a monopoly aside from Ford, you know, we had this monopoly on the British market, you know, and as soon as, you know, that Britain opened their doors to imports, the English car manufacturing market collapsed. Yeah. The, um, uh, for those that are listening, because this, this is something we know well, because we live locally in Kansas City and follow the local game and the Sporting Kansas City team and academy, is yes, Sporting has, has had players that came through their academy that went on and played at a really high level. Best example, Gianluca, Gianluca Busio, right? You've probably heard of him. Plays in the national team, currently playing uh, in, for uh, Venice in, in Italy. Uh, Gianluca Busio showed up when he was, I think, 16, right? So 15, like 16, 15, yeah. 16. He's straight out of Africa, yeah. wasn't he? No, no, no. no. He Where came from North Carolina. Um, but originally uh, he's from Africa. Uh, half, half. He was born in West his Africa. His mom's African and his dad's uh, Italian. Um, another player that, that made it, Jalen Lindsay, also from North Carolina, Daniel also Shallowy. showed up. Uh, Daniel Shallowy from Hungary. Hungary showed up when he was 18. Um, so Sporting's Academy starts at 12. And so they've not had anybody make it that started when the Academy well, started. And, and they always pick players that were developed that's what, by others. And that's what I've been seeing. Like you get to the U15, U16 age group. All the Kansas City boys are getting cut. Yes. I mean, that's your fault. That's your fault. You're cutting the kids you spent two or three years developing. Like, that's your fault. I'm going to be, you know, brutal about this. You know, give me the players that they have had, you know, that they've they've recruited at 11 or 12, you know, to come into their academy. You give me those players in our environment, you know, and I would have had at least 10 players that would be currently playing in MLS and knocking it dead, you know, beating people, scoring goals. Because, you know, you give me that potential, that speed. The focus, the commitment. You know, the things that that they've got when they get these kids into the academy, all the things that they look for are good, you know, know, and those kids have to be pretty skillful when they come in. The, The problem is that what they do destroys their ability to go to the highest level. It doesn't create it after they get them. And that's a big statement Andy just made. And if you don't believe him or you want to see some proof that that Andy has that ability, I've got my high school highlight tape to show you. (laughs) The the one where you blasted it over the bar after beating like three people. (laughs) I was really focused in on the deceptive dribbling portion of your sessions. Maybe not so much the finishing. (laughs) It's it's a great highlight. You know, up until you got to inside the penalty spot, you did everything right. And then the red mist descended. Hey, I a few <laughs> years later, a, but not by inches. A few years, by la- kilometers. A few years later, I went back to the same field, <laughs> took my tape measure out, and those goals were not regulation. <laughs> Did, did you actually hear what you just said? Not by inches, by kilometers. I don't know what a kilometer is. That's I'm how American. far you missed it. You know, it's, it's one, one, I mean, it did end up on two fields uh, uh, behind us, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, had, it may have actually gone in because it had it hit the net. It had gone right through the net. Yeah. <laughs> so you just wanted to preserve the net. I get it. Yeah. Uh, um, so I'm going to transition us to the, the next pick that also some really Really good stuff that came out of you, Andy. Um, I know that uh, you don't follow the NBA closely, uh, but I also know that you have a, a, a deep appreciation uh, for um, for superstars, for the create, creative, athletic scoring prowess of some of the best NBA players. What you probably don't know, Andy, is we are in a, an all-time historic moment in the NBA right now. Over the last few weeks, the number of NBA players that have scored 60-plus games 
the, the the unique number of players. I think it's been like six or seven guys have scored sixty plus over the last couple of weeks. What's it the is kid this kid from KU that got seventy. Uh, jo- Joel Embiid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. maybe you do follow a little bit. Yep. Oh, I do follow it. a little yeah. bit. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So the number of scoring big time uh, moments that are happening is off the charts. And typically, we collectively, you listening as well, when we talk about Joel Embiid or Michael Jordan or or Luka Doncic, right, going off and just scoring all yeah, of those just points. Scored massive he just scored. Uh, I think in the upper sixties. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is we, we we look at them as saying, oh, they're in the zone. Right. They're in the zone. They're in the zone. Right. And the zone, um, you, you've uh, mentioned this in previous podcasts, flow. Right. They've got this just ability to get in the zone and flow. Um, and what I'm curious is you outline in this chapter several best zone experiences for children and key elements that exist within it. And I think it would be a crime of us not to get through those specific elements today um, before this episode ends. Um, so I want to transition you to that, if you don't mind. The, the first element is... Zone 14. <laughs> zone 14. Oh, my God. Coach, coach speak, right? Um, so let's get back to the important stuff. Um, you know, the first element is the suspension of self. You know, this is an ability to forget and set aside all individual ego-based needs and characteristics to completely focus on an immediate challenge. You know, it's tunnel vision on the immediate challenge. It's a suspension of one's complicated and limiting traits in pursuit of meaningful personal growth. What do you take that to mean? It just that means that your focus isn't, I take it to mean your focus isn't on yourself, it's the moment. Yeah, you know, you are a magnifying glass. You know, what you do is, you know, you know what happens when the sun hits one side of the magnifying glass, you know, the, the rays of the sun are then focused. You know, if you were to train, you know, uh, you know, those rays through the magnifying glass onto a piece of paper, you know, to where, you know, it, the, the rays of the sun are now a, a pin size, ahead of a pin size, it will set the paper on fire. I'm going to continue this NBA connection because there was one guy, Carl Anthony Towns, I think is his name. Um, uh, Yeah, I've got him on my fantasy NBA team. Plays for Minnesota. He had scored like 60 points in like the first three quarters of a game the other day. And he was on path to potentially score an 80 plus. I don't think anybody scored 80 in the NBA since Kobe Bryant did it a couple decades ago. Um, And to get to 60 plus... He was in the zone, right? He wasn't focused ego based on himself. His focus. This is what all the 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 the, the commentators after the game were saying in different words. But they, he wasn't focused on himself. He was just in the moment and feeling the moment, and the moment was leading him to put the ball in the ba- uh, um, uh, through the hoop. And then, as the fourth quarter started, he started thinking about the record. He started thinking about this opportunity, and his focus, instead of the moment and being in the zone, it started to be an ego-based moment. He scored just a handful of points in the fourth quarter, and I think actually ended up tying the record um, for most points scored by a Minnesota Timberwolf player in 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 the league. And he was only like six points away from it when the fourth quarter started. And so that's that's a perfect example of if your focus is ego-based. You're not going to get into the zone. The zone is is something much better than 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 personal ego. Right. You know, it, it, it's almost an unconscious entry point. You know, and uh, you know. So let's go from suspension of self to the next one. There's an altered concept of time, and time is perceived while you're in the zone as accelerating or flying by. You know, individuals in the zone have a where did the time go experience that seems to have no connection to the traditional concept of time. You know, what do you make of that? Uh, I mean, that's you're so focused on the moment, you have no idea how many seconds that moment just was. Right. You know, you, you're just absolutely immersed in, you know, getting the job done in a split second. You don't think ahead. You know, there's no, you know, foresight involved. You know, you, you just go to, you know, basically what's automation. You've done these things so many times. You just go to the automatic technique you need to hit that three-pointer. You know, the Steph Curry, you know, it's unbelievable amount of st- three-pointers, you know, but he's, 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 thousands and thousands of shots a week you know into that practice he doesn't think about it you know he just instantly does it because he's automated you know that that individual skill you know time flies by when he's in that mode you know i would imagine for steph curry a game feels like five minutes you know because he's so brilliant at getting into the zone you know what's next 
I mean, uh, you look at Messi playing, he's a perfect example. Uh, like, totally. he, 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 you look at him and he's always looking like he's calm, super focused, like not, no distraction, scanning the field, focused, 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 until he gets the ball and at the right moment he does something. Like, it's you unbelievable. Know, you, know you know where he learned to do that? You know, when he was growing up? Rondos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, he did a lot of rondos in Argentina, and that's why Barcelona got him when he was 13. It was because of all the rondos he did in Argentina, not because he was playing crappy fields the whole day and doing amazing things. And he was. And he had a box soccer court on the side of his house. Yeah, he you did, know, he it, did. Hundreds of thousands of shots yeah. before he was like six years of age. You know, it, you know it, it's not rondos. It's about technical efficiency, brilliance, actually, first. You know, and then when you get under pressure in the crowd, you know, you've got the technical ability, so you've got the confidence. Yeah. You know, and then you go for it. You know, so he developed that he developed that technical ability. Read the book The Flea about his life. You know, and it's it's a wonderful chapter because it talks about his grandmother and his mother in the kitchen cooking. You know, and you know, and they're like, there he goes again. And outside of the kitchen is where their little caged area was, so he couldn't get into the street with a concrete wall at one end, and he would just bang his little ball against the concrete wall thousands of times. And in the book, they talk about thump, 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 until, you know, in the middle of their sleep, they were hearing thump, 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 because that's all, all that he did, you know. And so, you know, their soundtrack when he was a little kid was bang, bang, bang as the ball hit the wall. Yeah, and you said, so that book, The Flea, I assume it's been translated in numerous languages. Did you read it in English or in... Cockney, Cockney rhyming slang. Cockney, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you asked me a moment ago in terms of what's next, and it's kind of what I've been alluding to during this conversation quite a bit, right? Is a complete focus on the present moment. But with complete focus on the present moment comes this almost, it's been described. I, I remember hearing through an interview with Michael Jordan, him describing it, as as like this out of body experience time slows down right and like i think i remember even uh uh, jordan talking about like the crowd turned into a blur like his focus was so sensual like the senses were so heightened on what was happening in his body that a lot of things out around his directly around his body that a lot of things in the periphery blurred like he couldn't, they, there was no focus in that direction at all. And it, it allowed, it allowed him and allows players and kids to so really. My mom, my mom is a psychologist and I always thought it was super funny. Why are you that, such a mess then? Huh? <laughs> uh, talk to any son of any psychologist, you understand. They're crazy. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> good answer. Uh, uh, um, what I was going to, you, you lost. Oh. Uh, I I asked her, Mom, why uh, it's one day I was watching like, like it's so funny every player when he goes take a PK or take a free kick or a set piece you know or basketball free throw you know players have like a pre ritual before they execute right so Cristiano Ronaldo takes a certain number of steps open his leg breathe a certain way you know Neymar does the same thing Messi every player Michael every player has like something that they do before they execute, you know, the tennis players before they serve. And my mom, that was the exact point, is like, in those moments, the focus is the most important thing. So it's the automation. When you build in a a ritual on the front end, you are able to completely zone out of everything else. And you can imagine World Cup final, all, all the people and cameras and everything, right? And those things, the players... And I always thought that was super stupid, you know. I would go take a PK, I would put the ball there, and I would hit it, you know. And I missed a ton of them in my life, you know, because I I would get nervous at times. I would choke. Um, And she made that point to me one time, and I was like, that makes a ton of sense. And Let me me jump in here because, you know, Nadal, Rafa, you know, every time he serves, you know, know, he pulls one earlobe, he pulls the other earlobe, and he pulls his shorts out of his butt. You know, and his shorts aren't up his butt. You know, and and you know, I, 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 I kept I asking myself. Oh, it's court. <laughs> yeah, but that but that's exactly right. It's you know, it's the ability to do the same thing. It's his routine. So it's yeah. routine. About so it. you but can it focus. In, it gets him focused on the serve. But that's yeah. what makes soccer and basketball such great sports. Because during the free throw, during the PK, during the free kick, 
you, you, it, that's controllable time for you where Correct. you can establish a, a routine to be able to get into the zone off of the dribble it, with, with, with 22 different uh, di- or 21 other players, so many different variables. It's a totally different beast. And so you can't develop players that have the ability to get into the zone or the flow doing pre-established passing patterns right you've got to put them in what we always talk about chaos you've got to put them in and let them figure out how to assess all the the variables develop this instinct that exists and that's why that's why reproducing um messi or pele or uh, uh michael jordan or lebron james takes a totally different level of of of, but, of environment than is, reproducing rafa nadal this is where coaching comes in though because you can't just you know send the players out there and say go and make sense of this chaos you have to show them how to do a drag maradona turn not just a regular maradona the, the more difficult version that's more effective that's going to make them so dangerous under pressure you've got to teach them you know how to bend the ball with the inside of the the outside of the ball you how add to, conditions to your 1v1s that require those, the, those absolutely yes, so yes. what we do is you know we put some structure in there but we don't dumb down the dynamic positives. We don't go simple. No, you know, our, our instructions complicate, mm-hmm. you know, but there, there's instructions in there that make these kids use the skills that are most effective. And we teach them how to do that. We teach them how to bend the ball with the inside and outside of the foot. You know, in the Maestro series, we teach them the best six moves in world history with an extra deceptive twist to each of the moves. You know, that is fascinating if you delve into it, you know, and so, you know, and this is the difference is, you know, we recognize all of these, you know, incredibly important facets of getting into the zone. And we've leveraged all of these facets into our coaching philosophy to accelerate the development of our players. And, you know, for certain Sporting Kansas City Youth Academy has not done that. Because they've totally failed to develop any superstars out of their academy. And, you know, and I don't get it because I made myself available to the head of the academy for years, you know, and, you know, he started doing some of this when he was just running a club in the, in the local you know, community, you know, and he could have done this at the academy and chose not to. He told me he was going to do this after I educated him about this because I'm never, ever going to hold back education from children. And I've made this available to some of the brightest minds in the Kansas City community. Nobody in a club has copied it. It's, it's my fault, Andy. I shared my high school highlight tape with him. <laughs> it's enough to drive anybody out of the game. <laughs> but I think uh, also, and it's not just 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 Sporting Kansas City, and it's not just MLS. I think it's it's a problem that is happening across the world, and obviously there are stages. You know, I talked about Brazil. You know how we try to mimic you know Europe a ton, um, but even in Brazil, the youth system allows ten times more creativity than 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 everybody else. Uh, just unfortunately, these players go way too young to Europe. And they, they don't destroyed. they don't finish their their development. Yeah. But it's uh, I I think a big problem also is the 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 and Andy made that point the professional game got too involved in the academies. So for example, most profession most clubs they'll dictate the formation that the, the youth system will play. So if the team is play the professional team plays on a four three three, they're gonna put that academy on a four three three. So then they can develop those exact positions. But what's the problem with that? You know, Brazil, for example, was what was Brazil's probably differential until the 2000s that nobody else in the world seemed to do. Outside backs become being wingers, right? Cafu, Roberto Carlos, all these guys flying down the line, making all this place. You don't really do that on a 4-3-3 because you have to two wingers so you put a, a youth system on a 4-3-3 and only on a 4-3-3 you're developing a back four you're not developing two center backs and two guys that can go up wide so th- things like that you know really re- can really really hurt the development overall of an academy program and again we we talked about a ton i my team you know i have my team for five years every season i play a different formation with them every season so that way they can train different things i rotate them around you know so that way there people say that don't we don't work in tactics we do in games right i 
put them on a three-five-two, you know, and talk about hey, he, here's how you cover this, that's what you do, blah 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 blah. Now I'm playing four-four-two. I used to play a four-four-four-three-three. Next year you do it. Next season you're doing the WM formation, or no. when, when are you going to do that one? <laughs> um, we're going to wrap who, up who here. Who invented a the WM? Uh, Alf. Herbert Chapman, the manager Herbert of Arsenal. No, okay. uh, uh, let's go back to, you know, well, we're, we're, we're going through there's these. There's two that we've got to get to, and we got to wrap up. So I want to make sure we get to those two. Oh, I'm seeing a bunch we've got to get to. <laughs> Part two. Com, uh, complete focus on the present moment. We just did that one. No, sense of omni, omnipotence. You know, I missed that one. I skipped that one. So yeah. we got three left. The sense of omnipotence is, is incredibly important. You've got, to, you've got to structure your practices. So, and I shouldn't have used that word structure. You know, you, you've got to set up your practices uh, so that every player gets a feeling of incredible, almost legendary power. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and, and what you do infuses zone experiences into the practice. This is really important. You know, so it can't be one and two touch because there's no zone experience in one and two touch soccer. You know, the child has got to sense significant, per significant personal growth. How do they do that? It's by emulating the greats, you know. If you can do what Ronaldinho used to do, you know, and you can score, you know, the goals like Romario scored, you know, then you've got this unbelievable sense of personal power, you know. And, and the child gets lost in, in their new and exciting capabilities. So you've got to give them that opportunity to develop a sense of omnipotence. It's, it's, it's absolutely vital. And then... You've got to teach them to have a complete focus on the present moment. You know, absorbing zone moments are lived under a magnifying lens of self-awareness. Uh, your sensory perception is elevated to an unusually high level, and no exterior influences can interfere with completing the moment's task. That was the periphery bl blurring for Michael Jordan. That was the crowd blurring for Michael Jordan. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything else disappears. Yep. You know, and it's just the crucial little pieces of what you need to get done creatively to destroy the opposition that you focus off on in that moment. You know, whether it's a deceptive dribble that opens up a, you know, a goal scoring opportunity, you know, whether that's, you know, you know, like Wayne Rooney did, you know, scoring from his own half, yeah. you know, that vision and putting the ball in the back of the net from his own half or the bicycle kick that he scored for Manchester United. You know, these are, you know, legendary um, power zone experiences, you know, and and a complete focus on the present moment. But you've got to give them that license. And here's what. You know, academies like Sporting Kansas City do. They coach that license out of the kids. Yeah. They don't. They want them to play to a system. You know, mm -hmm. and this was where I had a complete break with Johan Cruyff. Is you know, he wanted his players to play to a system. You know, he wanted to train players in all areas of the field to do certain things so that they could be plugged into the reserve team at Ajax after they'd completed their youth education. And they could be then plugged into the first team, you know, when that player got injured in the first team or yeah. when they surpassed that player's abilities. And I don't think he trained with Ajax players like he was. Mm -hmm. You know, Ajax never had another player like Cruyff. You know, and that's a mistake. You know, they had a Van Basten that was a great finisher, but he wasn't an incredible dribbler like mm -hmm. Cruyff, Cruyff was. You know, and you need those number 10s that can dribble and create opportunities for the finishers. You know, and so, you know, I think that was a mistake. You know, they wanted to train cookie-cut replacements for the first-team right fullback, for the first-team left midfielder, for the first-team center striker, instead of creating Vincent Van Goghs on the soccer field, true artists mm -hmm. with a unique creative perspective. And they've never been the same since. Which was funny because what was his most successful team that he coached? Johan Cruyff. Barcelona. Come on. And who were the two best players in Bar the three best players in Barcelona? Uh, the three best South Americans Ronaldo, ever, Argentinians, Ronaldo. right? No, no, that's before. It was Romario, oh. Stoichkov, and Michael Aldrup. All dribblers and goal scorers. Yeah, you know, like kings of the era. You know. But those were not players that he developed, right? No, those know, were players that he got and he allowed them to do anything. I mean, you you go listen to Romario, the things that Romario would ask him to go to Carnival, and he says, he would say, that that's the most famous story. Cruyff, I want to go to Carnival. But Romario, we're playing Real Madrid. Oh, but I want to go to Carnival. Okay, you score two goals, you can leave after the game. Romario scores 
two goals in the first 20 minutes and pretends he's hurt and asks for the sub. It's like, what are you doing? My plan is in an hour. <laughs> you know, so that's the most famous story. Uh, he but knew. Like, he knew he could score two and goals. And that's true. Like, that was confirmed by, by Guardiola, all the players. Like, yeah. that's the, you know, yeah. and he allowed. And after Brazil won the World Cup, you but, know, Romário took two months off. And he said, well, you won the World Cup. I tried so many times. I was so close with Holland. Never did. So, you're good. I respect. Go have your fun. Just come back strong. You know, so he would allow. But that's the hypocrisy on coaching. It's allowing the one special, very special, to do everything. But then the other ones are the piano carriers. You know, in the youth system, you can't train piano carriers. You, you got to train all Romarios, right? And then eventually, if they develop as Romarios, maybe they will end up being a piano carrier in the pro game. But at least you maximize their chances to make it. And, you know, you gave them the, the character building characteristics that they needed to have, you know, in order so to th succeed. This leads us into, you know, into the, the next component, you know, of, of teaching players how to get into the zone, which is a complete focus on the present moment. You know, it, absorbing zone moments are lived under the, a magnifying lens of self-awareness. Sensory perception is elevated to an unusually high level, and no exterior influences can interfere with completing the moment's task. Welcome to five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. When you read that the first time. <laughs> uh, what's your name? <laughs> uh, sorry. Let's go into the next one. Realistic and clearly understood stretch objectives. More is more. He repeated. Yeah. Everybody, <laughs> nobody forget <laughs> You know, in realistic and clearly understood stretch objectives, the goal is clearly described, illustrated, and worked through. The child has a comprehensive oral, visual, and tactile understanding of the complex but achievable objective. That's so important. And 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 as I find that when kids hit 10, 14 is when they start to become super aware of of, of stretch goals, of like of where they could go if they if they put the time in. Um, but making sure kids are aware of what's possible and, and it's something that you talk about. I remember so, so you, much you time made a sat. point of 10 to 14 yeah. becoming super aware. Yeah. All right. Between 60 and 65, you become super unaware of what you've just read. <laughs> <laughs> well said. See, these, these jokes are so much better than the poop on a stick joke. <laughs> so, you know, we, we need to move on to the, um, the, the next one uh, because, you know, this is this is really, really good. Instant knowledge of results and repetition. You know, so, you know, most coaches, they do a practice and the kids walk away. They don't know statistically how they did in practice. They don't know where they stand in the group. You know, their position, you know, 1 to 18 on the roster with regard to shooting, with regard to deceptive dribbling, with regard to the key skills of the game. And, and... Um, you have to give the kids instant knowledge of results and repetition. You know, and what we do is we keep score. Relentlessly, we keep score of the most important things. You know, did you score the goals you scored? You know, and the, you know, the moves that you used. You know, and we'll do this in games. We'll count the moves that the kids use in games because we're teaching these moves in practice and we want them to beat their personal record every single game that they play. So you know, the kids know their personal records and you know, we'll get a parent to you know, count these things on the field you know, because successful task completion is instantly reinforced when you keep records, when you count. You know, unsuccessful performance is momentarily reviewed, the area of breakdown identified, and the task reattempted more often when you're keeping score. Because, you know, they want to know why it was that they failed when they did fail, you know, and then they're better equipped to come back and do it the right way the next time. And that's really, really crucial. Knowledge of results. Um, there's a book... Um, you know, Statistics for Success by Charles uh, Coonrad. And it talks about how in business, the way that you develop a really, really successful business is by tracking, tracking all of the key metrics that you, you know, perceive you need for success and then keeping your team individually and collectively informed as to who is doing what performance-wise with these statistics. 
you know, and you know, and that he says is you know the main thing that the Fortune you know 500 companies do is everybody working there is consistently tracked, you know, on their success ratios, you know, and you know everything is changed and tweaked by those individuals and by the organization, you know, if the stats aren't matching up to what they want to see happen, you know, and coaches walk away from practices. And they haven't got any stats as they walk away. And I, we do need to wrap up here, but I, I want to I share this uh, because I think it connects to something that for a coach that hasn't, hasn't kept stats on their practices. Um, and I think and sometimes it might be because they're, they're worried at how that will be received by the kids. They may be on the bottom end of the stat sheet. Currently, my 2010 son is on the bottom end of the stat sheet. He's tiny. Every other kid is 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 has hit puberty. My 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 13 year old has not. Um, and so, one v ones, two v twos in practice, he's on the bottom end every time. Um, but it's working really well for his motivation because his focus isn't on being on the bottom. His focus is on his score. And so, after every round, he's tallying it up. He's looking at the whiteboard to see how it compares to what he typically is in a practice. Uh, uh, in round four and how he typically finishes. And last night we played two V twos. He finished plus one. He usually finishes in the negatives. And so it served in a really positive reinforcement category for him, despite being eight out of 10, um, he finished in the plus category. And so that, so it can, it can really be beneficial even for kids that maybe are on the bottom end of the, the uh, score sheet. Yeah. It's all about how, how you, how you handle that, you know, with the kid and you, you know, if you, make the kid understand you know what they need to work on and they they it's like golf golf you're competing against yourself so in that case that's what he's doing and you you found a way for him to channel and get something out of it you know yeah maybe you you, you're struggling now because of the size and all that what can you control at this moment when i'm on the golf course i celebrate triple bogeys because i usually get worse (laughs) same here andy wrap us up Okay, uh, you know, and listen carefully to this, guys. You know, it, it, this is really important. You know, legends coaches combine the best traits of both dads and mums to develop brave, creative leaders for life. They encourage. You know, males and females are significantly different, and, and what our coaches do is encourage players to take great risks while showing great empathy from an emotional perspective for failures. The Legends program develops brave creative leadership in children by teaching the soccer skills and speed of thought necessary for intelligent risk-taking at the highest competitive levels. The unique Legends curriculum exposes children to as many of soccer's risky situations as possible. While kids in other programs are working on passing the ball and quickly giving away responsibility, Legends players are making high-risk plays using the funkiest fakes and most difficult shots. Legends coaches teach the clutch or big play skills with unrestricted creativity and bravery so that every player can rip the opposing defense to shreds. Other clubs mostly teach safer skills that maintain possession until the opponent makes an error, but rarely shred the opposition's defense. This is the key difference between our club and everybody else out there. You know, and as much as we try and educate people that it's not about the result of the game, you know, it's not about whether you as a coach can put a lot of money in your bank account, it's about whether your kid, while they're playing, becomes a brave creative leader, because that brave creative leadership transfers into everything they do for the rest of their life. And we are shortchanging kids if we limit them as youth to um, being used to get some type of statistical objective that is ego-based for the coach, like wealth, big house, big car, you know, or wins, you know, on the score sheet. There you go, Andy, insulting piano-carrying companies all over the world. (laughs) (laughs) One episode after another. Philippe, Andy, great episode, great job, guys. Uh, See you next time. See ya. See ya, thanks.